Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a uh, hot-button chapter. You're probably, if you're familiar with Corinthians at all, you, you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is. Everybody that's been to a wedding has heard 1 Corinthians 13. But if you've read the Bible once or twice or a couple times, you kind of know what 1 Corinthians 14 is too. And, uh, and so uh, we'll get into it tonight. And we're just going to look at it as what Paul explains and... Uh, and we'll go from there. So let's pray and uh, study. Jesus, thank you for the day. And uh, um, I'm just glad to, through the music, to settle my heart, God, as, as there's so many things going on, 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, that, that music just is a break and a, a refreshing thing. So I'm grateful, God, for the opportunity to praise you in song and to prepare my heart. Uh, help us now as we open your word to study it um, well, to look at the, these things that Paul introduces us to and, uh, and teach us your ways, O God. We don't want to be ignorant in these things, and that was Paul's reason for writing these things. And so teach us, God. Uh, mold and shape our hearts. Help us have understanding. Uh, help us to be undivided in our attention as we study tonight, God. And uh, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to do that. Thank you for Chrissy leading the kids tonight. I pray a blessing over them, and that allows us just here to study. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had to double-check that it was Chrissy. I looked over there. Okay, yeah, she's back there. Okay, good. <laughs> Bless somebody back there in our Sunday school department. So I think, and I, I keep restating this, but it's good for us that we restate the intent and the mission of the letter so that as we read specifics and we can get, I don't want to say bogged down, but we can get looking at the specifics like we will be in chapter 40, 14, the gift of tongues, that we maintain the perspective of the letter. And that perspective or the reason Paul was writing the letter is he's correcting a wayward church. They had, had gone off of the foundation that he had established while he was there. This is a church that he loves. And, and I, I told you this as we've gone through the, or the um, Pauline epistles. I see that more now than I ever have before. Paul loved these people. And that's the heart of a shepherd. That's the heart of a father, one who's established a church. And, and, he, and he doesn't want them to be wayward. He's not flexing his apostolic muscle just to prove that he's, he's the boss. He wants them to correct the things that they've got wrong so that they can have a, a deeper relationship with their loving God and a greater impact in the world. And so he wants to set them back on the foundation. The way that they had become wayward was a way that we all become wayward. And that is they became focused on themselves. They became self-centered. We all stumble into that. And it's, it, it's, it takes intentional living to live others centered. It takes a focus and a determination to decide I'm going to ignore my flesh 
ignore the carnality in me, and live otherly. Live with a focus on other people. That's a decision that you and I have to make on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, that we decide, I'm putting myself last. I told you about the I Am Second videos. Um, what's his name? Phil Robertson's just came out a couple months ago, the 30-minute I Am Second video. And the, and the people that started it, it's a great idea. It's, the, the, it's a, an interview-type, documentary-type style video. Most of them are five to seven minutes long. And it's the entire idea is that they, these people that they're interviewing, they live their lives so that they are not first in their lives. They aren't me-centered. And so they end each video with saying, hi, I'm whoever, and, you know, uh, uh, Albert Poolhouse did one. I'm Albert Poolhouse, and I am second. And it's, it's a reminder to say that I'm not the primary thing in my, in my own life. Now, I would go on to say, well, you're not second either. You know, God is first. Your, your family is next. Your, your church is after that. And then, you know, you, you pull up the rear. And that's the way, that's the way we should live our lives. That's being other centered. But like I said, it takes a moment by moment determination. And this church, the Corinthian church, had gotten off on that. And so Paul reintroduces the idea in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter we studied last week, with this idea of agape love. And we said that's a word they coined. They had to coin their own term of love. There were other terms. They had now now a total of five different words for the word love. You and I use love for a multitude of descriptive words. Uh, I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love the San Diego Chargers. And, and all of those mean different things. I love my brother. I love, you know, those kind of things. But they would have different words. And, and the church, as they were penning the New Testament, had to come up with a, this idea of being of having a sacrificial love. And, and they came up with the word agape. And that is the love that God has, but it's the idea that it's a sacrifice that you are willing to make that others might benefit. And he said, pursue that love. Because that's even more excellent than the spiritual gifts that he talked about in chapter 12. And so as we head toward 14 now, we're going to see uh, a, a discussion between... It's going to appear as though he's, he's debating as to which is greater, tongues or prophecy, two of the spiritual gifts. And while it is that, what we need to keep in mind is that Paul is writing to correct his church, okay? Keep that in mind, and as we go through, it will all make sense, hopefully, by the end. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. He says, and it's really a thought from the end of 13, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So I like the way he starts that. He says, pursue love and desire gifts. Those are two different things, right? We can desire all day long and not do anything about it. We can want the candy bar, but as long as we don't move toward it, we are just simply desiring it. But he, he says, go above and beyond that when it comes to love. Pursue love. Chase after love. Go after love. Live for love. But desire 
not pursue the spiritual gifts. God will give them to you when He sees fit. And then He says, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now, as we go through this, we kind of need to define what a, what a tongue is and what a, a prophecy is. In this context, as he speaks of the word prophecy, it, it means a telling forth from God. It's, a, it's the idea that God would give you a, a, a word, a, a message, a, a thought. He would plant that in your brain, and then you would bring that forth. That's what prophecy would mean. A lot of teachers today, as we talked about, some believe that the gifts have ceased. We don't believe that here at Calvary Chapel. But they would say then what prophecy has become is the teaching of the word. Paul uses different words for prophecy and teaching. So there is a distinguishment that Paul makes there. But the prophecy would be bringing forth an edification or an exhortation, as it says in verse 3. Okay, so just as we define, or we, as we pull this out in between 2 and 3, tongues are an expression of our spirit to God. They're an exaltation of Him. They are a praise of of him. Tongues are are between you and God, and it is a a way of your spirit glorifying your maker. That's what speaking in tongues is. Have you ever been in a situation where or experienced something so wonderful or even so tragic that words fall short? Like like you can't you, you want to express exactly what you're feeling, but it's so euphoric, it's so wonderful, it's, it's beyond your capability to explain it with words. Well, tongues would pick up where words leave off when it comes to allowing your spirit to sing or to speak the praises of God. It, it's, that you, it's, it's that words fall short and your spirit wants to express something greater toward God. And so the gift of tongues is given in order to do that. Tongues are yeah, a gift to help us express ourselves when words are not enough. And then he says, comparatively, prophecies then are for the building up of men. Prophecies are given, it says in verse 3, for the edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So while tongues is given as an expression toward God, prophecy is given as an expression towards men, speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. We clear on that? Tongues to God, prophecy to men. That's, that's critical that we understand these things. All right, so let's keep moving. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so, as I've said, just to to clarify, or to say again, tongues are for our own personal benefit. He who speaks a tongue edifies himself, 
Contrast that to prophecy. Prophecy is for the benefit of the church. He says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. Okay, now this is where we need to kind of pull back and remember what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, because it sounds like he is dismissing tongues at this point. He, you know, it's greater that you would prophesy than than he who speaks with tongues. But look at what he says at the beginning of the verse. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. And so he is not dismissing it. It is a good thing. Speaking in tongues is a good thing. But the intent and the purpose of the letter, at least in this section, from like chapter 10 on up until this point, what Paul is doing is correcting what was happening while they were gathering together as a church, while they were meeting together corporately. And so he wants to distinguish between what is good personally and what is good corporately. And what is good personally would be tongues. What is good corporately would be the gift of prophecy. You with me? He's not dismissing tongues. He's just saying in the corporate gathering, prophecy is the better gift that we might receive edification. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? The gift of tongues are of no benefit to anyone else who cannot understand them. If I were to just stand up here and suddenly speak in tongues, it would be of no benefit to any of you because you wouldn't be able to understand what I'm saying. Okay? It's a a language, it's a communication between you and God. That's what he's saying there. If I come speaking with tongues, what what does it profit you? And so remember, he's correcting the corporate gathering at this point. And he compares it then to everyday common things. He says in verse 7, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? You get the analogy there. As you have a flute, as you have a a harp, it's not a song unless it's played. There's no distinguishment between the notes unless there is a difference in the notes that you play. Think of it this way. You've all been there where the two or three-year-old suddenly finds the piano in the house, right? And what do they do? They go up to the piano and bang, 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 bang. And you know what? They are having a blast and they are enjoying that. The rest of the house, not so much, right? That's the idea of tongues. The two-year-old, the three-year-old, the one playing the piano is having a great time, but it is of no profit to anybody else unless it's known how to be played. And so it's with, with, with an accomplished pianist, then their entire room enjoys it. And so tongues are for the benefit of, of a personal relationship. Okay, He says in verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? 
right? In those days, as they gathered for battle, they had the trumpet that would tell them to do different things. It's time to eat breakfast. It's time to go into battle. It's time to retreat. And they had different callings for each of those orders. Well, if the bugler just played one note, they wouldn't know if it was time to eat or time to retreat. It could get them in a world of trouble. And so, like I said, they're... They're for the tongues are for the personal benefit, or for your, our personal benefit and for our devotion. All right, verse ten. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so. You, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. He's actually trying to encourage them at this point to say, hey, you've got a good heart, Corinthian church. You desire spiritual gifts. How about this? Why don't you desire the spiritual gifts so that you can use those gifts for the benefit of others? That's why 1 Corinthians 13 comes before 1 Corinthians 14. It's for us to lay the foundation that these gifts are to be used in love. It's for the benefit of others. Since you're so zealous, he says in 12, for the gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. They were really wanting the gifts. And Paul says, that's great. Desire those gifts, but desire them so that you may bless others in the church. In verse 13, therefore, let him who speaks in tongue, in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. And so he makes a caveat here to say, primarily the gist of the chapter is that tongues are for the benefit of the personal experience with God. They are not for a corporate setting generally. He does make a caveat here to say, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If there is an interpretation to go with the tongue, then it can be something that edifies the body, right? Does that make sense? So if I were to suddenly speak in tongues and you're all looking at me like, what is he doing? And then we, we just stop and go on. That is of no benefit to, uh, to you guys. But if I were to stand here and speak in tongues and my wife were to stand up and say, what Chris is saying, this is the interpretation. We give praise to God. We give glory to God. And that's what this is saying. Um, then, then that would be of benefit that we all could gather or we could all worship together. I want to remind us that, and I've said this a couple times, but tongues are spoken to God, okay? It's a, it's a language between you and God. Tongues are uh, uh, spoken to God. So a proper interpretation of tongues will reflect that. And you can get the example of that in Acts chapter 2. When the, the Spirit came down and the men broke out in the, the various languages, remember they said, aren't these men all Galileans? How is it that they are speaking or we are understanding them in our own language? They are praising God. If you go back and read the account, what they were saying in these other languages was praise to God. And so that's what a tongue is. It's a praise to God. And so a proper interpretation would reflect that. If somebody were to interpret a tongue, they would ref it, it would be a praise to God. If it's not, if somebody is saying what that person is saying is that we as a church need to humble ourselves and that the little children need to come unto me, that's an incorrect interpretation of that tongue because it's not praise to God. 
Okay, you with me? He says, verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Even to ourselves, it is an expression of our spirit, uh, a tongue is, uh, our, our, our understanding doesn't understand it. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? If there is no interpretation of the tongue given in a corporate setting, no one can agree with that. And so that's why it's necessary that an interpretation be present. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul was somebody that did. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that, in my opinion, is the principle that we follow in a corporate gathering like this. When we come together, this is the, 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 the stringent that we hold to, this verse 19. We would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 in a tongue because it's for the edification of all that we come together. He says in verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Remember how he start this sec started this section back at the beginning of chapter 12? Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. And so he spends three chapters writing, explaining, helping us to understand. It's good for us to, to break this down over the last three weeks, but it's also something that we need to refresh in our minds as well on a regular basis. Be, do not be children in understanding. Study these things. In malice, be babes. We stay away from malice. We stay away from bad things. But in understanding, be mature. Proverbs would tell us over and over and over again, grow in wisdom, grow in wisdom, grow in wisdom. That's what we need to do. So 21. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. And what he's referring to here is actually um, Isaiah chapter 28. And what, he, what God was saying when he said that was, you remember, God is, is the Old Testament, the picture of the Old Testament is God is wooing his people. They were continually wayward and God is continually trying to woo them back to him. And it falls on deaf ears and it falls on deaf ears and they continue to want to go their own way. And that's what the, the crux of the Old Testament is about. And he says in Isaiah chapter 20, 28, with men, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. What he's saying is, I'm going to send somebody to them and deliver my message because they're not hearing from me. And so he's going to use other people with other tongues to deliver the message of God. But he says, after even all of that, it will be unfruitful. Therefore, tongues, it says in 22, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 
Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Tongues being used in a corporate setting in a church gathering would simply be confusion to the unbeliever. Now, Paul says it is a sign. It is a sign, but it would be simply confusion, whereas prophecy can be for the benefit of the unbeliever. And that's that's the heart of a church, right? That's the heart. That's the idea of being other centered is the idea is the hope that as we gather, two things would happen. One, God would be glorified. As we gather, it is our hope that the believers in this room would glorify the name of their maker. They would sing praises unto him and they would worship him even through the going forth of the word. And then two, that we would gather and that the unbelievers that come along with the believers would find a need in their heart for a loving God. That through the going, the giving of the word of God, we can call that prophecy, the giving of the word of God, that uh, they would be convinced of their need for a savior. And that would come through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so that is why Paul is placing a greater emphasis in the corporate gathering on prophecy rather than tongues. Make sense? Prophecy can benefit us all. It is for the edification, as I said earlier, but even the unbeliever that is gathering. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, this is interesting, and Chuck Smith would kind of question the punctuation in this verse. He doesn't question what the verse says, but the original Greek didn't have the punctuation that this has. And it says, how is it, brethren, question mark? And Chuck would say, and I agree with this, he would say the question mark doesn't belong there. It actually belongs after the word interpretation. And so it would sound like this. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, that each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, question mark, Answer, let all things be done for the edification. And so this, many would take this and say, well, what Paul is giving in verse 26 is a model for the church. And what Chuck would say, and like I said, I agree with, no, this isn't a model for the church. This is what they were doing wrong. That they were all coming together and, and things got confusing is what happened. Someone was bringing a psalm. Someone had a teaching. People were speaking in tongues. There was revelation. Some had an interpretation. And basically, it became chaotic. And Paul said, no, let all things be done for the edification. They were standing up and say, hey, I want to use my spiritual gift now. It's my turn. And they would rattle off a tongue and they'd sit down. And they would be blessed because of that, because a tongue is a blessing. But it would be of no benefit to anyone else. And, and they were so, they were me centered in using their gifts. 
I want to use it because this is what I have, rather than looking to benefit others. So he says in 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, if it would happen in a corporate setting, let there be two or three, or two, sorry, two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. If you're going to allow the movement of the Spirit in the gift of tongues in a corporate setting, Keep it minimal, is what Paul is saying. Two or three at the most, and only if there is an interpretation. Okay? All right, let me break it down. Let me, let me just talk for a second. Um, I'm not comfortable with tongues. I believe that it is a gift of the Spirit. I, I, and it is something that... I have asked for that I don't believe I've ever received. There was one time that I think I was close, (laughs) that I was abandoned enough to the Spirit to... I, I think I was close. That's all I can say. That's all I can explain. But the truth of the matter is, I don't fully understand it. And I'm okay with that because, like I was explaining on somebody's Facebook today, If I could explain all the things of God, he wouldn't be very big. Um, My God is bigger than that. Do I? And so I don't, I haven't ever, I don't believe I've ever truly experienced the gift of tongues. I know people that have. I know people that use it on their on a regular basis in their prayer time. And it's a wonderful thing. And, And I've seen it used properly with. Um, with somebody giving a tongue in a prayer meeting and somebody having an interpretation. It was beautiful. But it's not something that I've experienced, so I'm not entirely comfortable with. So will you ever see two or three people giving a tongue in a Calvary Chapel service? Probably not. Because I'm in control. (laughs) God's in control. God's in control, but that, that's just where I'm at. I mean, God could change that. I just want to be honest with you guys at this point. Um, the way that Chuck would teach it, and, and he would say, and obviously their corporate gatherings are much bigger than ours. In their gatherings, they would say there are no tongues given because it's too much of a chaos and too many people would try to take advantage of an opportunity to speak in front of hundreds of people. And that that can become, you know, an issue. And so he just simply says in all of our corporate gatherings, we don't have tongues in their prayer meetings and in some of their smaller groups. They provide an opportunity, it's called an afterglow service, where they allow the movement of the Spirit. Um, I'm open to that idea and and trying that, but um, I would just say, as we gather here on a Wednesday night, as we gather on a Sunday morning, you probably won't ever hear tongues in the sanctuary, okay? As we gather in smaller groups, if the, the model that we have is what is given in 14, is that tongues are okay, as long as it's not interrupting anything else, and as long as there is an interpretation. With me? It's going to say at the end of the chapter, um, 
verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Okay? And the Calvary Chapel model would say that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt the Holy Spirit. And so as we believe that, that God is using the pastor to teach and shepherd the sheep, somebody's not going to stand up in the middle of that teaching and suddenly give a prophecy, a word of knowledge, or a tongue. It's not going to happen because the Spirit doesn't interrupt the Spirit. Okay? Make sense with me? Is it a fear on my part? Maybe a little bit. Uh, it's just not something that I'm experienced in. I'm just being frank with you. Okay? Where do we leave off? Uh, 29? 29, right? Uh, 28. But if there is no interpreter, here we go, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. If there is not an interpreter, somebody that would interpret the tongue present, then no tongues at all in any gathering. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another by who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you all can prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Our services reflect that. He is not the author of confusion. We keep an order in our services. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Need to understand here just what exactly is he saying, because that sounds kind of demonstrative. It's not really, it's actually a beneficial thing. In those days, the way the church was organized was similar to that of the synagogue where it was divided by sex, and the room was divided by sex, and the men sat on one side of the room, and the women sat on the other side of the room. And so what Paul is saying is, if a woman has a question on this side of the room, don't yell across the room to her husband on the other side, or don't yell across and ask a question. Don't cause confusion. Don't interrupt. Now, today we mix, and that's cool. You sit next to your husband and sit next to your wife. Wives, don't elbow your husband in the middle of the service and say, what is he trying to say? It's kind of the same idea. Ask him later. And it's a good thing for a wife to ask her husband what the pastor meant. Even if the husband doesn't know the answer, the wife is ha asking the question that's going to cause the husband to take the step to be the spiritual leader that he needs to be. So it's benefit if you hold your questions and ask your husband if you are a wife. A man is the head of the household. We talked about that in chapter 11. He is the spiritual leader of the home, and so a, a wife is to ask her husband the questions that she has. And he says in verse 36, kind of spanking his kids here, or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? He's saying to the Corinthian church, um, guys, you're not the only church out there. You can't just do whatever you want. We have... We are the bride of Christ all together, and so you can't just run off in your own direction. And then finishing with chapter, if anyone thinks him to be a prophet 
or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He's reminding them now of his apostolic authority. Um, they were, remember, they were trying to dismiss. Oh, Paul is just, he's just another teacher. He's no big deal. I, I prefer Apollos or I prefer Peter. Remember that whole thing in chapter one? And so they were trying to dismiss the authority of Paul. And Paul's saying, if anyone is pr- spiritual in this, let him acknowledge that this is the commandment of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 focus on this idea of spiritual gifts. I pray that our church would move greater in the Spirit. I pray that we would become emboldened by the Spirit. I pray that the Spirit of God would wash over us, that idea of epi, Him washing over us, and that that would be evident in the spiritual gifts. I, I want that for our church. I desire that all of us would benefit from the gifts of the Spirit. But similar to Paul's heart, I have the same heart to say, if none of those things come, what I truly hope is that we would walk in a greater love. Paul, the, the idea of these chapters, all these things are great. All these gifts are wonderful. But the greatest of all these things is that idea of agape love. And we can do, we can serve and love in agape. We can live other-centered without having any of the spiritual gifts. And that's why the greatest is love. It remains forever. Remember he said at the end of 13, the gifts are going to fade away. There is a day coming when we see him face to face, we will no longer have need for the gift of prophecy. We will no longer have need for tongues. Those things are going to pass away, but love never fails. Love remains forever. And then as he started chapter 14, what he said was pursue that love. So that's what I hope we would chase after. I desire the gifts. I desire the gifts for our church. I truly do. I pray that God would move in a strong way over us. But he commands us to pursue love. And so that's where we start, is by chasing after love. Amen? All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Again, if you have specific questions, I will try to answer them. I, I, I bared my heart there. Let you know. I don't know it all when it comes to tongues. Still trying to figure it out. But I'll try to answer your questions. I will. (laughs) All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, we humbly come before you, recognizing it is by your grace and by your mercy that we can stand in this place. Lord, we want more of you. We desire to stand on these things that Paul has established, the the gifts of the Spirit, Lord. If they are for the benefit of one another, if they are for the edification and the exhortation of the church, Lord, then we pray that you would fill us with those gifts, that we might edify and exhort one another, push one another on toward glorifying you more. Fall on us, Lord, we pray. But even if you don't move in that way, I pray that as a church, we would continue to pursue love. No matter the cost, may, us, may we find what it is to live 
a sacrificial life for your kingdom and for your glory. Teach us your ways, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. Thank you.